0: This is Warner Lewis, and welcome to another edition of Lewis at Large, smart talk and conversation with talented people from all walks of life. A reminder to subscribe to these Lewis at Large podcasts, go to Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. And if you like the podcast, hey, let others know about it. For context, my interview with Lydia Densworth was recorded in March of 2021. Now we turn our sights uh, on the business at hand. We're going to be talking about something that is sort of nice to talk about. It's called Friendship uh, with a friendship expert. Her name is Lydia Denworth. She is a Brooklyn-based science journalist. You have seen her work uh, in Scientific American Psychology Today. She's also written for The Atlantic and The New York Times, and her work is also supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. We're very pleased to have her here again. The work is titled simply Friendship uh, and subtitled uh, The Evolution, uh, Biology, and Extraordinary Power of Life's in D- Fundamental Bond. Wow, what a wonderful subject to talk about and wonderful she is. Lydia, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm well, Warner.
0: How are you? It's good to be here well we are we're good here. We are going through a period of very very cold weather, but gee, what else is new for the midwest uh in February and March so uh that's fine. Let's do this let's uh again you write about science uh your work is prolific why uh while it may seem obvious. Why friendship? Of all the things you could write about, what intrigued you most uh, about that subject and got your sights focused and put your energy zeroed in on that one?
1: Well, uh, actually what it was is that I'm writing, this book is about an element of friendship, the biology and evolution of it that is not as obvious as, um, as you might think. And I, as a science journalists, you know, spend a lot of time being, uh, what I have to do is go listen to scientists, talk about what's interesting to them, and I listen when they talk to each other. And about five years ago or so, I was at a neuroscience conference where a lot of people were talking about friendship, and they were talking about the biology and evolution of social behavior. And it was so interesting to me. I mean, we think friendship is so important. We know that it's valuable and it feels good, but mostly we have thought it was cultural for, you know, centuries, for thousands of years actually, all the way back to Aristotle and Socrates. And and it turns out that there's this whole other part to friendship that is really critical and that means that friendship is as important for our health as diet and exercise. And also that there has been an evolutionary story here, that there are real evolutionary advantages to making, to being good at making and maintaining friends. And that was a part of friendship that I didn't think people understood and I thought was worth exploring in this book. Um, so it really is the sort of cutting-edge new science of friendship.
0: So you're talking about the science of friendship. Along those lines, uh, Lydia, is there, in fact a working definition of what a friend is. That seems like such a gigantic subject, and we use the word friend many times, probably maybe a little bit too loosely, not sure about that, but do you, what's your definition of friend?
1: Yeah, that's a good question because it's one reason why um, sort of biologists and neuroscientists and people like that were not studying friendship for years and years. It's because it is a little amorphous and hard to define, and science kind of depends on definition and measurement, and, you know, you need to be able to compare outcomes and variables. Uh, and so what sci- what this new science of friendship has done is it has actually given us a working definition that... Um, it, it came from evolutionary biologists looking in other species. And that's one of the things that led to this whole idea that maybe friendship was more important than we thought was that if it was purely cultural, it, why why would you start to see things that look like friendship in other species? And so when people dug deeper, uh, they found that indeed there is something like friendship in a lot of other species. And in those species, you could strip away the complex variables of human life and you can get down to, you know, what are the basic requirements? And when they did that, they found three things. That a good friendship or a good positive social bond, if you want to use the the term in animal behavior, um, is long-lasting, it's positive, and it's cooperative. Those three things. Uh, and humans, when, we, when you ask us about friendship, we often talk about trust and loyalty and all those things are there. But really, when you think about these three things seem to be Really critical, and it it um, so again, it's positive, makes you feel good. It's long lasting and stable, and it's cooperative. So there's a reciprocal element to it. It's it, and and help <laughs> friends show up for each other. That's a, that's a critical piece of it. And what is interesting is then across other disciplines like anthropology and psychology, when people there when people have tried to find something similar like across the cultures of the world, what are the common themes? That come up most often. They're very, very similar to those. To those three things, it makes you feel good. It involves help, and it's like reliable. It's there. You can you can fall back on it.
0: Is there a difference uh, between uh, friendships that are forged uh, through physical association versus those that might, for example, like the environment? You you become a friend with a schoolmate that you're sitting next to in a row in a classroom versus someone that you might see at work versus other places where sometimes people are sort of thrown together. Other times the the friendships happen differently.
1: Yeah. Well, proximity definitely matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. And so um, the way I look at it, it has more to do with time. Uh, so time is a critical piece of friendship. It's why one leg of the definition there one one leg of the stool was that it's long lasting. Um, and because we can like people from the minute we meet them, but we usually need to invest some time in the relationship before we consider them a friend and certainly before we consider them a good friend or even a best friend. In fact, Someone right there at the University of Kansas did fascinating work on this, Jeff Hall, and uh, he counted. (laughs) And it takes about 50 hours to consider someone a friend and not an acquaintance anymore, and maybe 80 to 90 hours to consider them a good friend, and 200 hours to consider them a best friend. And that can happen in school. It can happen in work. But you can also spend 600 hours with a colleague and not become good friends, (laughs) because there are these other elements that are required. One reason why in classrooms it happens more is that because I think you know when we're young in high school and college, especially, we are you will never be more surrounded by people your similar age and and have more opportunity to find people who might share your interests and you just put in a lot of time together. I mean, college students are in class together they eat together they live together they party together they study together right and so they just have a a a great opportunity to sort of and they, they don't have the other kinds of responsibilities that adults have so it has yes to do with proximity but also then you have to like each other and then you have to put in the time
0: right i was going to say there's a very real difference a lot of times from the people we really like a lot and they're not necessarily our friends is that a fair statement
1: yeah, um I mean to so, so to be friends, you've got to get to this point. It needs to be reciprocal. That's part of it like I said before. So you you have to both agree <laughs> that that you are friends um and uh um and you can like people and they can be um kind of in your outer social circles and that's fine. That's an, there's an important role for those people as well. Um but but to be a really good friend um you need all these pieces you need to like them and they need to like you usually that comes it starts with things like shared interests but it a shared worldview is pretty important uh and um but it it you know you just have the same sense of humor maybe or um you know different all, all kinds of things help. There's help with the chemistry of friendship. Um, but yeah, you can like someone and not necessarily become great friends. And in part, that often has to do with not having the time um, to really get to know them as well as you might like.
0: Have you just joined us? Uh, yours truly, Warner Lewis from the Flight Deck, as always, of Lewis at large. and in the middle of a good one here with Lydia Denworth. She is a science journalist. Uh, You have seen her work uh, in Scientific American Psychology Today as well as The Atlantic and The New York Times. Her work is also supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, a brand-new work called Friendship and and what that is all about. Lydia, what about uh, also, the? are there real differences, uh, in, not necessarily in the definition, but how they're forged, friendships uh, that women have with other women and that men have with other men?
1: Well, there are certainly stereotypes about this, and there's a kind of catchy line that people like to say, which is that women do friendship face-to-face. They talk and talk and talk, and men do friendship side by side. <laughs> they um, do things together. They watch sports or play sports. They sit on bar stools next to each other, and of course, there is some truth to that stereo- those stereotypes, um, but that's not the whole story. And I found in my research that actually there was something more interesting than that, which is that um, that. If you really look at all the research on on men and women, you find that men there are more similarities than differences in how men and women think about friendship. And so men value friendship about as much as women. They they do tend to do it a little differently. And I think one thing that's happened is that women think we have a lock now on the right way to be friends. (laughs) Um, And we're a little arrogant about it. Uh, It is true on the other hand that culturally I think men haven't been encouraged um, necessarily to open up to other people and it and when they are forced to do that and there's some laboratory experiments where that's happened they do end up feeling closer to each other to their straight male friends um, just by talking uh, the the very thing that women seem to just do more naturally
0: well the subtitle of the book the evolution biology and extraordinary power of life's fundamental bond what about uh, What about situations where some people truly have many, many friends, others have none or maybe one? Uh, What might what what is that about? Is it necessarily does everyone need a one friend at least or is it or is it necessarily a true necessary bond that one has to have?
1: I think it is a necessary bond that one has to have. Um, But there are a lot of different ways to do it. And a lot of... um, There are different friendship styles people have. So, um, I mean, if you're going to force me to pick, I'm going to say you must have one, (laughs) just one. And the step change uh, between zero friends and one in terms of your health is the biggest difference that you'll find. Much, much bigger difference than, say, between having three friends and eight friends, good friends, we're talking about here, right? Or or if you have a whole lot of friends. I mean, there's diminishing returns in terms of your health. Um, You've got to have one. Um, But um, But what's also true is that when you think about Things from an evolutionary perspective, there are different strategies that kind of get you to the same place, right? So there are some people who really enjoy, as you said, have, you know, a lot having a lot of friends, um, and uh, and other people who really prefer just one-on-one interaction and they have just a handful of people and maybe even only one um and but they may be absolutely fine what what the real risk is um is not whether you're introverted or extroverted but it's whether you're lonely and loneliness really means a mismatch between the amount of um social connection you have and the amount that you want uh, and so if you're satisfied with your one friend or your two friends, um, then you're then you're much better off with than someone who, um, you know, really yearns to be in a big group all the time and can't be, um, if you see what I mean.
0: In the movie, I know you've been asked this a million times, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. Uh, Well, I don't know this, but I'm going to guess it. In the movie, Harry (laughs) Met Sally, Billy Crystal aired Mm -hmm. what a lot of people think men and women can't really be friends, especially if they're about the same age. Talk to us about the dynamics of male-female friendships, particularly of the same basic age.
1: Yeah, you know, there is no biological reason why men and women cannot be friends. Uh, <laughs> so I tend to think it's more cultural. Uh, obviously, there can be sexual attraction, and that's the thing that men tend to think gets in the way. Women don't necessarily. I mean, and there's a whole lot of women who have very good um, male gay friends, and so that just takes that piece of it out, right, and makes it, and uh, and so it's, if you can, if you don 't have that tension there, um, and I think women are maybe more likely to feel comfortable in a relationship without thinking about the sexual possibilities all the time, but not necessarily um, you know sometimes it works the other way but there's there's no real reason I think it's mostly cultural um, uh, but it is true that the, that the sex piece can get in the way um, but i i don't uh, I have plenty of good friends who are men and um, my three sons have good friends who are women and uh, it's um, so I don't uh, um, I just I don't entirely buy it
0: (laughs) right but uh, I can certainly understand how that tension might be there and how many times have human beings in the world men or women heard well no we really shouldn't we're friends
1: We're we're we're
0: just friends. Anyway, okay. So, okay, thank you for addressing that one for sure. Another one is, is it part, uh, is the very nature of friendship, sort of uh, whether it's talked about openly or not, uh, various different agreements between one another. I'm going to let you be the leader here or the extrovert here, or I will follow your lead, or we'll both co-lead. All those kinds of things sort of have to be worked out, do they not, for something long term?
1: I hadn't heard it phrased that way before. Um, Sure. I mean, you can have people who have different personalities who nonetheless become good friends. Um, But I think, um, and I don't know that we intentionally work that out or talk about it or think about it, um, but it it certainly happens. I think it gets to that piece of the definition I mentioned at the beginning that is about it being cooperative and reciprocal. And part of what that's about is it not being too lopsided. Um, So it's fine if one person is the leader and the other is the follower, but it does matter over time that the follower is paid attention to when necessary. <laughs> like if, you know, you're having a really bad week and you need a little love and attention from your friend, um, it, it's important that one is not so dominant in the relationship, that that doesn't happen. I'm not sure if that's getting it part of the question you were asking, but that's the yes. first thing that comes to mind to me, is that you do, lopsided is not good in friendship. Um, and so it's fine to have difference, and it's natural. And it's also true, I'm not talking about Um, a reciprocal tit-for-tat that's exactly the same. You know, you you talked for 10 minutes about you, now I'm going to talk for 10 minutes about me, or, you know, you had me out to dinner, so now I'll have you or something, when we could do that (laughs) kind of thing in the before times. Um, But it's it's about over time, over the long haul. You know, there needs to be a sense that you are there for each other and that you are each being a good friend. Um, And as long as you're doing that, the, the other personality stuff can be different and work out.
0: So you are a science-based journalist. Uh, you've done a lot of work about science of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the science of friendship, as you did your research, um, what did you find as you turned over stones and you researched and you did all the various uh, discovery work that you do? Did you find anything that really through you and thought wow there's an aha moment for me was there anything that you mm-hmm. uncovered you thought wow not, have, not doing this research I wouldn't have have sort of discovered that or thought of that that way um yes so the uh, I,
1: this I have two things to say about that. One is sort of the big picture and this isn't this is maybe sort of obvious, but you know, you don't spend 5 years working on a book if you don't find it interesting subject, right? And I would say that from the beginning, the thing that surprised me the most was just how fundamentally important um friendships are and that and I say that because even though we have long-thought friendship was a valuable thing like i said we we don't always prioritize it you know we do tend to put our family first our romances first you know if you fall in love with someone you often ditch your friends and <laughs> um and uh and so i think that it 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 rates more than that but i'm also going to give you a very sciency wonky thing that blew me away which is that um, when you think about, I said a while ago that friendship is as important for your health as diet and exercise, and it can have positive effects on all parts of your body, like your heart rate and your blood pressure and your risk of dementia and mental and, uh, depression. And, um, but even in your immune system, it does this amazing thing. It goes into the gene, the way your genes express themselves in your immune system. And it changes how susceptible or resilient you are to inflammation and to viruses, which is, of course, top of everybody's mind right now, viruses. And um, and so lonely people are more susceptible and people with really good friends are less susceptible and more resilient. And I just thought that was amazing. And it was amazing. The science of how they figured all that out is really amazing, too. <laughs> um, but what it tells you is that Friendship is is getting inside the body in this really deep, fundamental way, and so is loneliness. And that loneliness is right up there, the same kind of response in the immune system they see among people who have suffered extreme poverty or childhood trauma and other things. And that shouldn't make you say, oh, well, then, like, loneliness isn't um, so important. What it should tell you is loneliness is on a par with, you know, childhood trauma and Um, and extreme poverty and all kinds of other things that are really, really big deal. And most of us think friendship and loneliness as two sides of the same coin are less important than that, but they're not.
0: Well, well, the book is uh, a fascinating one, and the subject fascinating indeed. The work, of course, is called Friendship. Uh, by Lydia Denworth, again, a a science-based, not science-based, you're Brooklyn-based, but you're a science journalist. You've seen her work uh, in many, many places. The work, again, Friendship, the Evolution uh, and Biology, and Extraordinary Power of Life's Fundamental Bond. Uh, Lydia, uh, probably obvious, but how can people get a a copy of this and also uh, check out uh, a lot of the work that you've written in the past?
1: Yeah, well the book is available wherever books are sold now um, in paperback and uh, the and then my website is LydiaDenworth.com and it is a source of, leads you to all things Lydia, <laughs> all okay. my work and social media and all of that is all there.
0: Well, appreciate you very much uh, talking about this. What a what a sort of a fun uh, one to talk about and explore the, the whole concept of friendship and what it all means and some of the science behind it. Uh, hey, best of luck to you and And, again, uh, would certainly love to have you back on again uh, with the next project you've got going.
1: All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: You bet. Well, thanks for joining us for this installment of Lewis at Large. We add new conversations every week, and we like hearing from you. You can contact us via email at warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. That's warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. And you can find out more at lewisatlarge.com or on the Lewis at Large Facebook page. And remember to subscribe to Lewis at Large. Check out Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. Now go have a great day.